0: Welcome to Hindsight Is, uh, the show about thoughts we have and had and and just anything in general, really. I'm Shane Slugar and Aiken Roberts is here with me. Hello, hello. And why don't we just start by telling um, how we met.
1: I was browsing a website called Stack Overflow which is a question and answer website for programmers to ask tech questions and how do I's and everything. And you had asked a question that I thought was pretty interesting and I actually didn't know the answer from. And I like to challenge myself every now and then with those. And I researched it, I figured out what the answer was, and I replied to you. You said, hey, great, thank you, that helped me out. Uh, And I believe you found me on Twitter not long after that, gave me a follow and said, thanks again. And I'm not sure what happened in between, but I know not too long after that, There was a programming conference called Laracon that you had gone to.
0: All right, folks, up next, give it up for Taylor Otwell.
1: And also a mutual friend of ours, Joel, went to, and he sent me a photo saying, hey, look who I found. And it was a photo of him with you at the conference. Did you
0: write a blog post about that answer, or did you link to a blog post with your answer? I probably did.
1: I blog so infrequently, you'd think I'd
0: know exactly what's up
1: there, but... Uh yeah, I believe I did.
0: I remember coming across that article and being very impressed <laughs> that you had either taken the time to write that based off the answer or had taken the answer and put in, put that into a blog post. And I'm trying to think now what that what the question I had. It was something very specific. So somehow came up again in conversation with um Joel Claremont. And he goes, "Hey, I know that guy." And and um since then it's just been actually we haven't really talked that much it's just been um twitter conversation here and there which my mind was kind of going back like before we got on this call and before we decided to record um an episode my mind kind of went back to like connections i've made on twitter because twitter is very different for me in like the social media space i finally deleted instagram last month for like the 10th time in my life (laughs) um somehow I've managed to get back my like proper username every single time. Like some, and, and not because like other people have my name, but because, you know, a lot of times like you go and deleting an account and then you try and create it again. And they're like, Nope. Cause they like soft deleted it and you can't actually get it back. Sure. Um, like Snapchat does that. So I'm like on like slogar dot underscore shang on Snapchat. And I just, I, I just delete the app now. I don't, don't delete my account just in case I want it back. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, Twitter's different, though. Twitter's, like, it's like it's like the Reddit of the internet to me, but, like, with identity. I don't know. And I feel like in some ways that's slowly changing. Like, every social media has that one period where it's, like, cool and niche and, like, there isn't too much spam and, like, trolling and just garbage on there. And I think Twitter's starting to get towards that, that place where it's, like, just too popular. And it almost doesn't feel cool anymore. But... For me, like Twitter has been like the one valuable tool in my both personal and like professional social life.
1: A lot of the social medias tend to, they just kind of fit into whatever's going on in your life. You know, Facebook was, I actually avoided it for a while in the start back when I was coming out of college and it was at a time when you needed a college account in order to sign up for Facebook. And I was like, oh, I don't wanna deal with this. It's not my jam or anything. Eventually joined, used it a ton to just collaborate with this big social group or this uh, this circle of friends that I had that I rode motorcycles with. We'd use it to organize rides and to, you know, hey, here's where we ended up tonight if you guys wanna meet up with us, that sort of thing. Like it just, it fit really, really well. And then over time, it just didn't anymore. And I, I do worry that Twitter will kind of fit into that mold also especially because anytime things get popular, things just tend to change. And Twitter's obviously been popular for a long time, but the, the, the way that it's used just kind of seems to shift a little bit. It's almost Twitter is becoming as polarized as people are. There's not a lot of room for nuance and casual conversation and just interaction. Instead, it has to be these complicated thoughts or just big opinions, and then everybody fights about it.
0: YouTube, for instance, that, that's kind of becoming that way too. Uh, like especially as of late, um, just like how much controversy goes down in, in the YouTube world in terms of like what content is allowed. And like some of these things, like there's just much bigger issues that I think we're just going to have to learn over the coming months and the coming years of like, how do you manage like different content and how do you moderate? Um, and I'm very, very glad that I'm not in the position that some of these, um, uh, executives and CEOs are in. Same. Um, but also, I think the other thing for me with social media is um, I just have a really hard time like balancing the the good and the bad, um, like just in general. Like it's hard to see, like one of the things for Facebook for me, like the deal, the deal breaker and, and why I actually ended up deleting it finally. Well, so I, I've wanted to delete Facebook for a while, but I had a business account for my company on there. And you couldn't have just a business page without a profile. And I was like, ah, so that was like the one thing. But then it just kind of hooked me in because I'd go in there and imagine my business account. And I'd be like, oh, let me see what my friends are up to. Um, I, I, I finally transferred it off to just a, I just created a, a new anonymous account and transferred that. Like made myself the admin, passed it along, and finally deleted my profile. Which actually, I just realized because a couple of hours ago, I tried to log into my account. And they said they they, they locked it for um, uh, suspicious behavior. And now I'm realizing that's probably why. But they said, they go, you have 30 days to correct this. You have seven days left in that 30-day window. And I'm like, great. You guys didn't send me an email or anything. But the tipping point, going back to the beginning of that, the tipping point for me with Facebook was just like, I wasn't seeing what I wanted to see anymore. I was just seeing like, it, it 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 was like reshares and like too many conspiracy theories and um, too many ads like even with ad blocker, um, so I think for me it's still like a, uh, social media in general is still like a balance of like the good and the bad like Instagram for me, um, kind of got tainted with like more ads and like the way they changed the feed and uh, stories kind of just was like unnecessary clutter in in my mind I I, I tried to. Mute a lot of friends' stories just to, cause I just didn't want to see that section at all. It wasn't like I didn't want to see only one person's or another. I just didn't, I just didn't like it. Like I was like, Instagram's for pictures, but then they, you know, like chat and all that stuff. So it's like when the, in my mind, when like the 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 feature set and the kind of the downsides of the the, the network outweigh the upsides, then I'm like, meh, maybe not. Um, did you watch? Uh, have you seen the the that documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma? No, it's I've been
1: meaning to watch it for a while, and I've heard good things about it. it but it's kind of one of those things where I I don't want to regret my use of social media at the time, uh, so I kind of like put off watching it
0: so I'm not confronted with that fact that it's probably not the best thing for me. Yeah, I mean they definitely go down a bit of a of a rabbit hole in some ways of like you know how everything's like an algorithm and like your behavior to some extent is being like c- controlled and processed by computers which it is a little eye opening but it's also a little like they definitely dramatize it um but it's also the reason i enjoyed it so much was it was it's one of the few um pieces on that that i've seen as of late which kind of does really uh, a good job of Um, bringing up both the positive and and negative effects of social media, like, you know, seeing how it can like sway people's opinions or like interfere in elections and like, you know, uh, misinformation, different things like that, but also um, how how powerful can be to to connect people. And that's like been my biggest struggle again is like, you know, weighing the Oh, you can connect with literally anyone, but maybe, maybe you don't want to connect with everyone, kind of thing. So,
1: yeah, I, I definitely feel the the you stopped seeing what you wanted to on Facebook. I, I got that vibe for a long time. And part of that was also, you know the conspiracy theories and everything are one thing to hear from strangers online, but another thing to hear to people that are relatively close to you at the same time. And it kind of becomes that, you know, just how do I deal with this kind of differing political view, whether it's extreme or just not the same as yours? And uh, trying to confront that, I think, can be difficult for people. Um, That's not exclusively why I tried to limit my Facebook use. I just didn't particularly like what I got out of it anymore. It seemed to be a time suck for things that weren't valuable anymore. You know, I wasn't communicating a lot with friends in order to figure out how we could get together. I wasn't seeing photos from events that I had missed that was, you know, exciting to be able to look back at those and check them out. I I wasn't doing things where I wanted to get all the information from it and the the recap and the photos afterwards so I can see if maybe I was in a photo that somebody else had taken from this particular thing. Um, And once that kind of got lost, all the other negatives of it just got noisier and noisier. And at, at that point it was, well, what am I doing with this? Um, and one thing that was slightly a bummer about that is I'm a diecast car collector. I collect Hot Wheels and other diecast cars like that. And I get a pretty good uh, social network of people that do that also on Facebook, both locally and just in general, all over the US and all over the world. And being able to find new or interesting pieces, or now in my case, I'm actually selling quite a bit of it, um, being able to sell it there is really, really convenient. So it's kind of a trade-off where it's incredibly useful for this particular hobby, but it's also incredibly annoying in a lot of other avenues. So I have to kind of limit how I use it. Um, I deleted the app off my phone for a while. I kind of now rotate between installing it and, un- and deleting it. Uh, but that was my don't go on Facebook unless you actually are like, you know, explicitly trying to sell some Hot Wheels or something like that. And then I had to use my PC and upload photos and everything along those lines.
0: Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that, um, about how you said, you know, you have to like set limits and use it for only one thing. Um, This kind of has been something that applies, that I've been noticing, like it applies to like a lot of different parts of my life. Like just like setting boundaries and like how easy, I was just talking to a friend yesterday about, how easy it is or how much easier it is to um, be like all in or all out. Um, the, the the all or nothing kind of mindset, which is like it's much easier to just um, like delete Facebook altogether than to say, oh, I'm only going to use it on my desktop or I'm only going to use it to upload photos or do this one thing. Um, and honestly, it's kind of like, it's interesting because um, I tend to do that with just a lot of different things in my life in general. Like I don't like pursuing things in variance and I don't like to um, like succeed in variance. Like I want to completely succeed or completely fail or you know, do one thing to 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 the the, the as much as I can or, or completely not at all. Um, and I think it's interesting when it comes uh, to things that aren't, like, literal binaries, like, um, say, say a programming project. Like, things that are literally not, you can't just, like, make it work or it doesn't. But things that are more variable or human, like, just, like, connections and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I've kind of had to, like, almost overcorrect, I think, from, like, my time in the in the programming space of like being so accustomed to like you you either it either works or it doesn't um trying to like backtrack that in other areas of my life to be like okay so you like planned a vacation and like every single part didn't go correctly um it can still be a somewhat good vacation it's not like a failed vacation um I wonder how much of that is like just my specific experience with like um, you know, how I grew up with social media and how I grew up, um, and, and programming from an early age and how much of that is like a generational thing of like, um, and that that's kind of, um, the result of, of essentially computers and technology and like the way it functions.
1: That's a fantastic question. I have no idea if, what the answer to that would be. Uh, and, and that's kind of an interesting difference also, cause it, it's something that might de- not be obvious to everybody listening right now, you and I have a you know 14-year or so age gap between the two of us. Uh, my experiences with social media are probably going to be a lot different than your social experiences with social media, even if the app and the usages are the same, but how they affected lives and growing up, so to speak, um, may have had very different impacts. Uh, what those were, I'm not sure, and how much of that is generational, how much of that is... Just because cell phones and social media and that sort of thing is very commonplace uh, in people your age and younger, whereas I like you know had a lot of childhood and a lot of school and everything that didn't involve that, um, so it's been a different kind of adaptation for me. Whereas it's kind of second nature to I think you and like your Gen Zs and uh, really late millennials and whatnot. When did you get your first smartphone? Smartphone would have been. I got the Apple 3GS, so whenever that, the, the Apple iPhone 3GS, which I believe was the second or third iteration of the iPhone, uh, and whenever that was, which I, I want to say is probably 2009-ish, somewhere around there, because I think 2007. Oh, we're doing some fact-checking. Yeah, here. I think 2007 is when it came out, when the iPhone debuted, uh, and then it would have been a couple years of iteration on that.
0: 2009,
1: right on. There you go. All right. So that would have been my first smartphone. We had cell phones. We did the the T nine texting. If you have any idea what that is, I have no idea what that is. Uh, so that was a, a kind of predictive text where because you only had the the numerals, uh, each each numeral would have you know the letters you know A B C for letter two, I think it was D E F for for number two, D E F for number three, um, and T nine would be like if you wanted to type a word, you could type the the numerals that would kind of spell that word it's kind of like you're typing a phone number but the phone would be able to guess the word based on the letters kind of like an autocomplete so instead of clicking like if i wanted to type e instead of clicking the number three twice i like i would just type the word that had uh you know the letter e in it i would just hit number three for the letter e and then whatever other numbers i needed for that word and it would be able to make that association
0: yeah so i actually played with that it was a uh It was a, it was a, a very, very old flip phone. (laughs) I remember this and, and it had that functionality on there. Um, it was like a, I don't know why I got it. Uh, when I was younger, I just like got a lot of gadgets that no one wanted anymore either because they were broken or because like, um, whatever. But I was just like that person who would just, well, I would manage to take apart and break everything, but I was also just fascinated by like every single gadget in general, um, that's kind of a moment in time. You're a maker. Uh I, that would be a nice way to put it. More I was I was thinking more like a destroyer, <laughs> but sure. Uh, I just remember hey, maker, destroyer, tinkerer, they're all the same. There you go. I just remember um like you get like these uh I I would get these um boards out of computers, like the whole big motherboard out of a desktop and just like spend hours just like unsoldering components, like capacitors and resistors and just like Pulling components out, and some of it was actually—it doesn't. That sounds a little kind of crazy the way I just introduced that. But um, my um older brother, who actually is uh, he's a programmer himself right now, but he was really into like the electrical engineering aspect of that stuff. So he would like take those things and like plug them into breadboards and like make different. We had a uh an alarm system on our door, so like if you open the doorknob, it would like you know it would trigger off this thing and he eventually got to the point where you could like type in a a passcode on the door and like get in um so it was that kind of thing so we had like um that was our um that was our scavenger hunt of like collecting capacitors and resistors and all these components and like putting them into buckets essentially (laughs) i'm pretty sure i had some brain cells damaged by like the amount of solder in enclosed spaces that i inhaled but (laughs)
1: That sounds like a lot of fun. I never got to a phase of too much uh, technical destruction at that point. Things like that were always interesting to me. I think the the closest to technical destruction that you could come with is uh, back when I first got the internet and I decided that websites were cool and I wanted to learn how to make them. Um, I didn't take anything physical apart, but I would look at website source code and I would see what it was doing and how that corresponded to whatever I was seeing in the web browser. I would use a an editor where you could just drag and drop the different components of a website, and then I would see what sort of code it was generating in the background, and then I would manipulate the code and see what changed. Uh, that was my my tinkering, uh, so to speak. Everything else would have just been, uh, not so. As a kid, not a lot of taking things apart. I did like uh car stereos and like neon LED lights on cars. Uh, that was a big thing that I was into before I started riding motorcycles. And a lot of that was tinkering. It was installing the lights on cars, installing the audio systems, finding cool ways to build things that were unique or, you know, ha- being able to shine the lights without being able to see the light source was a big thing uh, in when I was experimenting with that. So that was probably the biggest creation period that I had outside of writing code or, you know, I draw a
0: little bit, I write a little bit, that sort of thing when I did first get into programming, which was a little similar, um, I um, used uh, Microsoft Publisher to export web pages and and that was like my first quote unquote web page. but um, actually the like the extended version of that was um, we had a uh, HTML4 book line around the house that no one had had used and um, that combined with um, when I when we were kids up until, Um, almost late in high school uh, we didn't have internet at home so what I would do is I would go to the library and I'd just be like you know doing whatever but also browsing websites and if I came across a website that I really liked the way it looked I would uh, save it and download it so like the, the HTML file and like the all the assets with it and I would come home and just like spend hours like Trying to figure out how they did a certain thing. So like, inspect element was already pretty um, usable at that point. Like you know, Google Chrome had their their whole developer tool suite and it was it was pretty good. But like that. Um, so a lot of the like the early things because I was like using Chrome and like their tooling was like all the WebKit stuff. Like WebKit box yet. I remember that was like one of the first things I learned. What was also funny though at the time was like <laughs> Internet Explorer was still like so old in terms of standards, right? So Chrome was bleeding edge, Internet Explorer was really old. And I remember learning all this, like, really... It was, like, almost learning two versions of web development. Because, like, Internet Explorer was, like, the like the marquee um, and GIF version of the Internet, in my eyes. And Chrome was, like, ooh, I can use Box Shadows and different things like that. Like, I remember, I don't know, was it Internet Explorer 8 or 7, um, that you had to use, like, some weird, like filter syntax and css to even do like opacity um like there was like something something filters like direct x something shader i don't even remember but it was something really weird and cryptic do you remember that i do yeah
1: i remember that it's like a filter x equals and then a whole bunch of gibberish that you would never be able to write by hand you always had to copy and paste it from some documentation somewhere or a website that you saw was using the effect and you were like oh that looks good i'm gonna copy that and maybe change a number somewhere to dictate how, uh, how opaque something was or how long the drop shadow was or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. But like, so that was like the way I learned all the things. And so I learned a lot of things wrong. And I also learned jQuery, which I guess at the time wasn't really wrong. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that's that that was actually really interesting. I kind of think back to that um, and always wonder like how I could recreate that now in terms of like a learning and like growth experience, which I mean, I don't think you can do that 100%. But like some of the um, just some of the curiosity, I would love to get back some of the curiosity. And I think I still have it now. But like, when I do have it, I'm like, tired and like, don't have like the energy to pursue it almost, Um, which sounds kind of dumb. But does that does that make sense? Um, It's like, I'm like, how does this thing work? And I'm like, Oh, well, I, I don't have a client that's going to need that. Like, why would I look at that kind of thing?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think one thing that you touched on was, you know, how do we how can you recreate the learning experiences that you might have had back when you were learning these things? Uh, and I would argue that you recreate it not by trying to create a teaching tool, but by creating blog posts and answering questions and creating resources that people can learn from. Because when I was learning, and it sounds like the way you learned also, it was just self-taught. It was just exploration. Let's mess with code and let's see how it changes things. Let's look up articles to learn more about whatever thing we just saw and we, we want to learn more about. Um, there wasn't a a course or something that was taken it was just a one particular piece of information that needed to be consumed and you gathered those pieces of information from a lot of different sources whenever they came up so in order to provide that to other people that experience it in that same way you just need to generate content and be one of those sources that people can disseminate and
0: learn from i'm going to take a hard left turn sweet let's talk about politics Because something just happened tonight, which I think you know. I do. And also, we haven't really talked about politics at all. Um, I think I know where you stand on some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of curious to get, like, a a closer look into Aiken's brain. The yeas are 52. The nays are 48. The nomination of Amy Coney Barrett of Indiana is confirmed. Um... (laughs) I, I grew up Republican, and like registered Republican. Um, I voted for that that one candidate four years ago. Actually, um, that was that was the first election I ever voted in <laughs> for for president. Um, I had just turned eighteen. You voted. That's a good start. I, in hindsight, it was maybe less than ideal. But um, I, I'm I'm completely opposite this time around. And, um, I, I was looking at, like, I was just scrolling through Twitter. That's where I get most of my news and, and seeing kind of, so the confirmation hearing happened for, for, um, Amy Coney Barrett. And I, I I just, I have such a hard time wrapping my head around that whole process. Um, like, I feel like, I don't even know much about her, like, obviously she's conservative, I don't know much about her her beliefs and, like, her opinions on some things, and regardless, a lot of the confirmation hearing, like, it's just the the norm to not really have a strong opinion on anything until you get confirmed, um, so we didn't learn much through that, um, but I just have such a hard time, um, understanding how that whole thing like went down in the first place, because even if I agreed a hundred percent with everything she was for and like, say she was, I mean, I'm, I'm much more liberal. Um, now I would say I'm probably like 75% liberal, 25% conservative, but even if it was a completely liberal justice that was up for the nomination, um, the fact that we're a week away from, like the official election day kind of boggles my mind. And I have a, I just, I don't understand. Honestly, the reason I brought this up is because I am just, as I'm sure you are as well. And a lot of Americans are in general, but I'm so extremely frustrated with the state of politics. Like no matter how you lean, what you believe in, uh, who you would vote for, just like the state of politics in our country In general. Um, In some ways, I feel like the realization of that over like maybe the past six years for me has almost felt like um, betrayal from what I feel like most people and myself included are kind of brought up to believe in terms of politics and America and you know how we're supposed to be in some ways the gold standard for democracy and how other countries should model our behavior and I feel like the more I learn about um, the processes we have in place and the 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 essential essentially what is a game of of politics it really just it's it's something I don't want any to be to be a part of at all. And in some ways, I can understand why people would just not want to vote. Well, well, that's definitely a whole thing. I'm not 100% sure where to start on
1: all of that. <laughs> the, the the noise that come from politics is almost always generated from the loud minority. So it's the on both sides. It's the, the people who are loudest on the left, the people who are loudest on the right. That's most of what you're going to consume on a daily basis uh and obviously there's some sprinkling in of people in your social media networks um that's kind of a bummer about twitter for me these days is sometimes i want to disconnect from the world and i just want to read about tech stuff and then in the middle of my twitter feed is a whole bunch of politics because everyone's very consumed with politics right now so i kind of can't escape from that Um, but the the loud minority is going to drive a lot of the discussion a lot of the headline um, and that's partly just because we're kind of sensationalized. People like the the noisy parts. The media loves the noisy parts. Um, both sides, again, there's there, the media just likes to be noisy. The media likes to get people to click on their headlines and watch their shows and everything, regardless of what that content is. So unfortunately, if there's anything that's going to grab somebody's attention and bring them in, it's going to be whatever's loud and noisy. Uh, so I would at least offer some comfort in that you know what you're viewing is the the kind of the extremes, and also the how can I put this? It, especially on a national level, not a lot of it is going to be really, really directly affecting a huge portion of the the population. And I, I'm going to knock on wood when I say that because obviously the Supreme Court has had some pretty major decisions. Uh, over the course of the United States, and we would hope that they would make the correct decisions. Uh, it'd be a big shame if they decided to overturn some of the things that I think are beneficial to society. Um, hope And you know, with Amy Coney Barrett, you kind of hope that she just chooses to do what's best, and we can kind of get past a lot of this sensationalized stuff. Uh, I had the same thought about Trump at the time. When he won, I said, okay, it's somebody different maybe he'll be different enough that it'll be kind of out of whack, and uh, but in a good way, like because it won't be the traditional politics and everything like that. And unfortunately, in my opinion, it kind of went the complete opposite direction. The uh, the non-traditional mm-hmm. became the extreme, which brought out a lot of what I would consider worse about um, the opinion of our country, um, some of the opinions of each other, just the political uh, divisiveness uh, of you know if you support republican and somebody else is on the left you know they just say why what's wrong with you you know and i'm guilty of that thought process uh but i think about the the noisy people are the ones that are making the most noise and you know i know people that are republican and support trump and are also people who would come to my house if I had a problem and I needed to talk to them or would give me a ride if my car broke down on the side of the street or would stop and give the homeless guy a sandwich. Like, I know these are good people and they're willing to help and be a neighbor and be a good, kind person. Uh, I might find it a little bit weird that they support somebody who I don't think fits that description but I know that that person is still a good person to have in my life because of their character. They've proved that. And I think that is the quiet majority in our society, and that's something that's important to recognize and important to remember, that a political uh, viewpoint doesn't mean a definition of character for somebody. It can, unfortunately, and sometimes it's really obvious, uh, but a lot of times it's not, and a lot of times it's not what defines somebody as a person. Uh, And I think that's a good place to start.
0: The place my mind went was back to something I said earlier about um, kind of my own struggle with uh, like binary logic. And I think that's almost interesting to see how we kind of gravitate towards these groups of Republican or Democrat or anything else. And and it's and it is so much like people will say, you know, if you're a Republican, like, I do not want to have anything to do with you um and kind of missing that whole middle spectrum. In some ways, I wonder, uh, I would love to talk to someone who, like, studies human behavior and 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 uh, like, I'm sure there's some kind of like inherent um draw inside of us to to go towards, you know, like a, a tribe or a category or something like that and to fit into these 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 areas instead of like being comfortable. Like it's easier to associate with Democrats or Republicans and it's easier to say um like to filter out the noise by saying, "Oh, I'm only going to listen to, you know, this group or or that group." Um it's kind of interesting to see that that play into into politics specifically though.
1: Oh, and that doesn't surprise me at all because You know, people want to be in a a like minded group. You know, you hang out with friends that have similar interests as you. I rode motorcycles with a lot of people. That was our common thing. We all rode motorcycles. That was a great way to feel like you were part of something. Um, You are iron in programming. When we go to conferences, we feel like we're a part of something because we go to a conference with a bunch of like minded people. Um, And that's just the same for politics, and even more especially for politics because politics are something that's more of a an ingrained thing in you. Politics are an extension of what you believe in or what you find very important. Um, And I think that's one reason why people tend to use your political definitions as defining your overall character. Um, I think that's a leap, but it can be somewhat accurate. Uh, But that, that need to be a part of something I think drives a lot of what makes people loud with politics is... You know, they feel like they're missing out. They feel like they aren't a part of things in other parts of their lives. So they see all these other people supporting something that they also support. And that's what they bring into their lives as this is how I can feel like I'm a part of something here, are people that are like me. Um, they don't feel so alone. Um, and that's probably a big reason why this particular election cycle and this political political, this current political ecosystem is so polarizing is because of the pandemic and because of 2020, it's driving extra isolation in our lives. And that extra isolation is not, not only creating political divisiveness in itself, you know, do you wear a mask, do you uh, lock down cities or states, or do you close businesses in order to help spread and everything like that? Unfortunately, that shouldn't be a political decision in my opinion, but it is. And people, you know, equate the two of them together. Uh, but because of that, it's also kind of forcing people to their sides for the people that they agree with and the people who are driving those decisions. Uh, and it, it's it's human nature, I think. It's human nature to want to be surrounded with people who are like you. And in this day and age, politics is a, a very it's it's a binary state, kind of like you're talking about. And if you're not one, you're the other. And it's very easy to kind of just pick a side then and go all right cool here's the line here's what side
0: i want to be in if you're on the other side i don't like you well with that said um we're gonna wrap this up and uh there is still time to vote and so i hope you do whatever you know whatever part of the spectrum that you are on um please be sure to get your uh voice in early and make it count and um hopefully we'll we'll come out on the other side of this um all right
1: absolutely i will plug uh i yes that seems to be a very popular resource that i've seen um doesn't matter what you are get out there vote figure out what you need to do to do it a um, lot of absentee and uh, early voting open all across the country now so get out there do your thing i got my my ballot in did you i did we got our mail-ins and then we dropped them off at one of the boxes. Uh, a couple weeks ago now I think we've been had it
0: done for a while yeah I think I did mine a a week ago and then just drove down the street I was actually usually I mail I put it in the mail but the the post office was like a block away from the drop-off box I was like ah screw I'll just go there and why not make it make it travel one day faster so
1: yeah ours is really convenient too
0: We're going to figure out where to put this show. Um, We'll we'll put some links or whatever to all the things. Um, And uh, thank you guys for joining us. Hope you enjoyed what you heard. Um, If you have any feedback, um, let us know. Thank you very much.